Do you see what I see? Do you see what we see? Do you see what I see? Do you see what we see? Always going out, new days coming in. 2020 is a clearer to your vision. Say what y'all want, you ain't never gotta listen. Enemy Radio is about to drop a new album, Loud and Not Enough, produced by C Doc. I have a chance to listen to the album and it is incredible. With that, I welcome legendary artist, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, co founder of Public Enemy, Chuck D to the library with Tim Einico and Rap Station Radio. Chuck, thank you for coming on the program. Man, I'm I'm happy I I, I was able to get an interview with one of the best in the business. <laughs> and <laughs> and um yeah, it's it's an honor, it's a pleasure, especially at this juncture of time in the world and also I guess in the culture and uh, interwoven as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for being here. I mean it's such an honor to obviously have you on the uh the program, the show. Uh, so if you could just quickly uh, kind of break down for people that don't know, who is M- Enemy Radio? Well, Enemy Radio is just a component of Public Enemy. It's it, it's something that, that harks back to the sound systems, uh, the root of uh, PE. Uh, we all started from um, microphone and turntables, and Public Enemy uh, eventually morphed into, you know, musicianship, people like Davey DMX, uh so our bass player, uh, Kari Wen, the guitarist, Flavor Flav plays instruments, uh, Griff plays uh, percussion and things like that. And for years, uh, since 1999, we was able to, you know, do a full kit out show, especially with DJ Lord being a turntablist. He was the fourth component into the uh, bass, guitar, drums, and so on. But Enemy Radio actually formed out of out of the just the quench uh, the to the quenching the thirst of getting right back down to the turntables, which is DJ Lord, uh world turntablist has been with Public Enemy since nineteen ninety nine. Matter of fact he's been there twenty one years and Terminator was there the first ten. And um uh Jahi, who I brought into the fold as an opening M C in two thousand eight. And um, but he's a veteran. I met him in 1999, also in Cleveland at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and um, I worked, uh, you know, with them to and fro. And in 2007, 2008, you know, he was opening up uh, our shows as we toured around as an opener and also as a host MC to open up the um, Public Enemy um, review, so to speak. And um. He's a vet now that's just finished his 16th album doing a collab with um, Configure called uh, For- Forward Future, or Future Forward, I should say. And um, Configure, the producer out of the UK, and they just did a collab album. And he's also been my writing and, and performance collaborator for the last two to three years uh, outside my work with Prophets of Rage, of course. So uh, in the last couple of years, I, I put out a album called Celebration of Ignorance, and Jahi was also kind of like a co-conspirator with that. And then also with this record right now, Enemy Radio, which is, you know, that DJ MC sound component. And each one of the members with Enemy Radio are recording artists with um, Spit Slam Records, which is uh, my record label. Also, my co-partner is uh, mm. David C. Doc Snyder, who's also the producer of the album. So, um, yeah, it was like a no-brainer. Um, last year, as Public Enemy Radio, uh, kind of like a you know a name I didn't dig as much, and we performed and was on tour last May um, on a Gods of Rap tour, 
and we went out to try it, you know, really to promote Rap Station and also the label. And we was on tour with uh, De La Soul, of course, the headline by the Wu-Tang Clan in full operation, except for meth. And um, also um, DJ Premier opened up. And also seeing DJ Premier really seriously said, you know, this is enjoyable getting back to the turntables. And uh, we did 11 dates in Europe, and it was smashing arenas and everywhere from Paris to Helsinki, London, the first night at, at Wembley. So it went over well. So we decided to also put together a record for 2020. Um, and, you know, and really I said I was just happy to be a part of it. Lot is not enough is the name of the record. Tell me kind of about what, why name it Lot is not enough. What does it represent, especially now in 2020 to you? Well, a lot of people are saying a lot of different things, pumping volume without saying ish, you know. And I think we've been at a point in, um, in hip hop, and I'm not saying that, that at my stage and age, I'm leading the narrative, but I think in a period where style has been favored over substance for far too long, when does substance get a chance to peek, you know, peek his head? And then, um, I mean, I had somebody tell me that, you know, popular, they're giving me stats, analytics, and data, and all. all. I said, well, well, hell, when does important become as valuable as popular? I mean, like a Rothko, you know? A Rothko <laughs> it's not, wasn't based on popularity at first. It just had its own style, like Jackson Pollock. But you got to know art to be able to talk art. And I do feel that hip hop, our genre is art. You know, if you actually have enough people to hold up that conversation, it's just not a toy to me where, you know, it's a top 40 popular taste, you know, where everybody just shaking to the lights, as I say, you know, it, it, it's something to, that can move the world. Words can start wars and stop them. It can move people. And hip hop is to me has been the number one idiom to be able to do that. And I'm very fortunate for 34 years to be part of that. So I've seen it move the world. And right now, um, as the world turns, I consider hip hop still being at a teachable moment, but where's the platforms that, that curate it? Your show curates it. You get into the nooks and cranny of talking to somebody about their art and craft. You have plenty of situations like that in other genres, like the rock, you know, rock and roll but when it comes to hip-hop i just got tired of it being treated like this bastard music that can't do nothing can't move anything but it's basically everybody's going to look to a teenager to see what it can do and i don't i don't feel the same i don't think it's a uh it's a mu music just of adolescence i feel that it's, it's as thorough and complex and far-reaching as jazz or any of those other idioms in rock and roll or whatever and the art form is necessary culture is necessary for people to actually look at their lives as something that they could surf upon and say all right this is this is a beautiful addition to my life as i'm living and i'm doing the the a to b and the c's this is the this is the glow that that keeps me going and doing what i want to do because entertainment is i think it's it's that that beautiful thing that that keeps us going about our day culture is the thing that brings us together for our similarities and knocks aside our differences. So whether it could be a political conversation or whether it could be a conversation thoroughly about um, someone's occupation or someone's joy, I think hip-hop does it well. 
we're just not tipping our hat enough to the people that, that can actually take care of it. And also, I think there's an absence of platform. So, um, yeah, I think right now I consider this a, a teachable moment, you know. And I don't think people seriously want to admit to being taught, but and, and they don't want to be, I mean, being lectured to, so, so to speak. I think people are open to being taught. They might not want to be lectured to if you don't have the ability to lecture, but hip hop has that ability to cut through with those words. Do you think it's kind of hip hop in a weird way is being hurt by its popularity being, you know, the number one genre out there that, you know, people are, it's easy, easier for people to treat it like pop music. Um, I mean, if it wasn't as popular as it is now, do you think what what your what your hope what you want to accomplish with it would be an easier conversation to have? I'm not basing anything off of popularity because I, I mean I have to take a quote from my man Brad Jordan. I hope he gets well off the coronavirus. Uh, that's Scarface for many of y'all that don't know his gov. But um, he says, "Yo, man, listen, man, I'm not going to be that that dude that's in the, you know pouring champagne champagne in the in the sandbox." Um, the sandbox is one thing, but not everybody's in the sandbox, man. <laughs> you know, playing with the kids for popularity's sake, man. This is an art form that that runs vast and deep. And what what even caused this whole situation? I call it the hoax that just ain't no joke. In February, uh, which made me actually get involved with trying to set, you know, do this particular move. Well, I was fed up with the treatment of hip hop. Fed, totally fed up with the treatment of hip hop. It's like public enemy for 33 years, for better or worse, always presented the best look and the good look. And, um, it was a situation where, I, where it got to the point where, where three situations kind of like lined up. It, it was like, um, you know, uh, the Grammy Award, they awarded public enemy. Um, a lifetime achievement award, and I was ambivalent about it. But then um, they had appointed a new president, chairperson by the name of Deborah Dugan, and she called me personally. And I was like, you know, I made my peace with uh, Naris years ago when we all protested as sort of like a unofficial union when they didn't have a hip hop category. And so 1989, it's documented myself, Ice T, Jazzy Different Fresh Prince, uh, Salt and Pepper, MC Light, and so on. We were protesting that. And then 1989, they had the first rap category. So the who, who gives a F about a goddamn Grammy that we put in um, Terminator X to the Edge of Panic? Okay, it was called off after they put in um, the category. Because that's what the lyric was about. You treating us like a bastard music. And, but then again, you know, I worked with them to and fro with NARIS, uh, National Academy of Arts and Sciences. And then they got sloppy with the award. I remember one time hearing Jay-Z talk about he drinks champagne out of one of the, one of the trophies he got. And I'm like, I said, this thing is not being curated. It's being curated only from a populist standpoint. Maybe we need more mm -hmm. voters. Maybe we need more people that understand that there's a past, present, future, that this breath of it goes a little bit longer than somebody that just all of a sudden was, from their vantage point, got into the music and got all hyped and excited about it when they came in. So, I mean, I made my peace with them back and forth, you know, with Naris. But then they got sloppy with the ball. and um we got to the point where it was like, okay, you know, like they, they're doing what they got to do. And they're, they're pointing, they got a point, fine, whatever. 
But Deborah Dugan had talked me into being a participant and that there was going to be changes made in the handling and curation of the genre to where it'd be up to speed, at least what they do in jazz or in the rock idiom, uh, you know, is when they come down to the show. They had LL hosting the show for at least four years. Mm -hmm. And so that was a step in the right direction. But it's not so much about the, 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 the figures that's in the light, you know, the, the big pop popular figures. It's about, you know, the the people in the framework they allow. People like yourself. I mean, where's a thorough writer who studied the music? Where's a person that's actually doing the, the nuts and the bolts of curating and handling the music? Where are these people? Where where are jobs for these people? Right. You know, yeah. it's always that you know, the 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 seventy one year old journalist like Chris Cow is writing about these rock guys and he you can't go in you can't crack that armor with your point of view because it's gotta go through that old guard first who's serious about guarding that music. Well, in hip-hop, it's kind of just relegated to the corners and the barbershops, and I'm, I, that's just not enough, man. I mean, I saw Common do the best hip-hop performance I've ever seen on television during the NBA All-Star Game weekend, and it was crickets by the media. Crickets. And I said, yo, man, I've never seen a, I've never seen a hip-hop performance as good as this on television. Media said nothing. Um, coincidentally, in, in the worst way, the, the young MC rapper, Pop Smoke, was killed the next week on a home invasion in Los Angeles. And that was news everywhere. And I'm not taking anything away from the tragedy of it. But... It, it got to a point where the narrative of hip hop had spun out of out of bounds, and all of a sudden the narrative had become, you know, well, dead rappers could rise. You know, the the the, the thing last year with the extensions and all this and the court cases. I mean, the hip hop media is just turned into trash. Mm -hmm. And I'm like saying, when does a good look get news? Because the bad look looks like it elevates, it gets elevated, like automatically for what? The as they say, the clicks and and all that. I mean, to me, that that's um, that's being a buzzard, man. That's being a buzzard, and it is buzzard media out there that hovers around the worst that's yet to come. And there's a lot of young people coming into the art form who's trying to figure this out, and they've been seeing this this uh, breadcrumb trail. And they've led to it. So that was one of the things. And, they, and uh, the Grammys fired Deborah Dugan because she was exposing some of those things in narratives and, and trying to make those changes. And they fired her after two weeks. So the woman calls me to get involved and said there will be changes. And then they're moving her on out. So by that time, I was like, Psh, no, F this. So that, that struck me. That struck me. So I, one night I was watching... Um, you know, YouTube, and I was combing through it, and I was checking out uh, uh, this documentary about Orson Welles when he did War of the Worlds. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was 1938. And I, I looked at it, and I, and I said, hmm, that's interesting. Now, I didn't make it make any plans at that point, but it sat with me on how, as, as the technology of that particular day was used, to actually steer so many people into it to believe it. Right. And we're at that point right now, Tim, where the social media people are embedded into their gadgets. They're embedded in their gadgets so much that 
They're going to believe everything that comes through their gadgets. And the reason why reading a book is so important is that you read a book and at least it stays there. So you could say, well, this is this is d- debatable. Or it's it's true, I think. I, I'm going to base this on other things. I'm going to follow up. Or it's BS. I'm going to take the book and burn it. But usually online, what you see today could evaporate tomorrow. And it might not stay. Matter of fact, your phone could go dead. It, it just won't stay in the same situation. So that information and news and data is always moving. And it's hard to challenge that. When I did Don't Believe the Hype, I wrote the record, you know, 33 years ago. It was based off of Noam Chomsky, um, the the theorist, who basically said challenge information. And we're at a point where everybody got now the tracking device gadget in their pocket. How much are they going to believe it is something that that's going to be, you know, of note and it's happening right now. So with those things stacking up and I, and I said, well, damn, only the bad look happens to get propelled. Um, what platform do I use? And I was requested to, to, to be part of the Bernie Sanders um, rally. And I was like, well, this is a good platform to say what I feel like I have to say. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some certain things about Bernie Sanders that actually made me, like, raise my eyebrows and say, this is interesting. Right. I do believe that some kind of socialist reform happens in a in a country that's gone off the skids. I mean, this is shared spread around. I've been doing that in my particular company with 100 people for the last 35 years, you know, yeah. spread around because you're going to have to fix it when it gets lopsided. Right. Um, and my agendas that lined up is definitely was health care, which we're looking at right now. Child care you know, being helped out in the educational um, platform system in the climate. And I said, okay, I'll use this platform to go out and say, you know, what I believe in these particular things, but also use it for what I feel I want to say. Tell people to use their own minds. Make sure that, yeah, you do vote. Because the bottom line was getting Trump out of office. I wasn't involved with the, well, this is uh, Bernie versus Biden and all that. At the end of the day, you want people to make a, a clear, concise conversation argument on trying to get the dude in the White House out. And, um... That's what that was all about. So um, it formed from there. Let's go to that because that's, I mean, that's so obviously after the Bernie uh, performance, we all know the fallout, right? I mean, the news, the fallout of, uh, you know, headline Chuck D fires Flavor Flav from the group for political reasons. I mean, essentially was the headline, right? But then we go, let's, then we go back to the enemy radio album and we go to a song uh, where we hear a voice of Flavor Flav in the song. Um, so the question to me was like, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, is that maybe Chuck is sampling an old Flavor Flav thing? So is that an old Flavor Flav uh, sample or is that something? Or no, is- that's, that's, Flav, that's Flavor's participation on Enemy Radio. Enemy Radio was a situation that I offered Flavor, you know, to do while I was doing Prophets of Rage, and then when we come together, it's Public Enemy. So it's a it's a separate but connected um, situation. Flavor had a rough, you know, 2019 as well, and every time he had a rough 2019, they brought it out on the news, whether it was his ex manager, the baby, all that other stuff. And I didn't like the fact that he was getting hammered in the media, 
And I'm like saying, where are all these people that actually was like, yo, you know, we're, you know, Flav's your man and all. I say he was getting hammered in the media and he had uh, a management situation around him that he couldn't kind of get out of and, and couldn't control. And we as partners throughout the years, I mean, I'm not in his business. He's not in mine. But he took a, a, such a hit, and I'm like saying, like, well, how could we fix this? Because at the end of the day, if we're going to be together, he's got to bring his stock up, or I got to help bring his stock up. I don't know how this could be done. And um, trust me, we we had some problems in 2019 because we we didn't see eye to eye on some things that I thought he should have been taken care of. And come January and February, we came to a accord of, okay, this is how we got to do it, but you got to actually be busy. You got to, you got to step your end up, bro. And it's going to take a while to kind of dust off all those cobwebs of, of inactivity or the bad look, which was elevated. Anytime that public enemy would have a good look, it would get ignored. Anytime flavor would have a good look, it would be ignored. But the bad look all the way up to the love and hip hop show. It's just a bad look, bad look, bad look. And, I had to tell him, I said, the bad look is something you just can't liquidate into something that's going to work for you long term or anybody. Right. So out of this came a, a, a situation. I said, listen, man, your management people sued me last year and the year before and brought it out on TMZ and a bad tactic. It might have not been directly at me, but it came out like that in the wash. Don't do that again. Mm-hmm. So he had management people, so he kind of like to, you know, kind of like discarded them along the way and put together his team. And we, in January and February, we got to talking back and forth. And Public Enemy Radio, he never did like, and I didn't like it either as a term. Promoters wanted to use that last year, and I was like, ah, it's Enemy Radio, not Public Enemy Radio. But last year, I begrudgingly went and say, okay, it could be public enemy radio, I guess, this year. So when the Bernie Sanders thing came along, it's supposed to say enemy radio. They said public enemy radio. And I know that hit a sore spot. So I told Flavor, I said, listen, do what you got to do. I already got, I, I'm, I already got this other plan. Do what you got to do, bro. And then came the cease and desist letter. And then I counteracted. Now, whether I counteracted in the total plan, it came along in in the wash. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line, that was the the plan to try to turn this into a teachable moment. You know, thirty years after Fear of a Black Planet, the the statement is: believe half of what you hear and none of what you see. People just saw me on stage. They didn't even see Lord. They didn't even see Jahi. They didn't even see the S one W. They saw just me, and they didn't hear a word I said. Mm-hmm. And that was something that propelled me to put together this hoax that ain't no joke. Because I'm like saying, if you're looking at symbols, you ain't listening. And if you don't read, write, or listen offline with your time, then you're going to be a robot to this system, to this situation, to this world of ga- gadgets that has the real estate of your mind. So I had to put together something you know, uh, at that particular time, and I figured March would be that time that we would put together this, 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 I guess, this agenda, finish up the album. But really, at that time in the world, I was looking at April 1st, 
as a day that we would say, okay, this is April, not April Fool's, but April Flav Chuck Day to talk about how we need not to be so soaked in into all these signals that are actually transmitting to us and not challenging this information, almost like a don't believe the hype 2020. So it, it, had, it really wasn't based just about the record. The record was just proof that we had been working together. And during the month of March, it was a, <laughs> let me tell you, man, it was a long month of March, man. Cause the day that the announcement of saying that, I fire flavor because I say, and I put it out there. I said, yo, dude, you have your people sue me one more time. I'm going to publicly embarrass you. So then everybody just, you know, it became the talk of the barbershops or salons. And I was trending the next day on March 2nd. And I said, ain't this some bullshit for real? (laughs) It's like I'm trending for the first time because all the years public enemy gives a good look and it becomes, yeah, okay, you know. And we present a bad look and I'm trending. It actually proves to the fact that the gadgets are ruling the game. And I'm like saying in our art form, man, when people say I support you, I'm like, no, Rage Against the Machine has support. You know, we had Prophets of Rage. It was a beautiful four-year relationship. Um, It was like going to a university of brotherhood. And Raise Against the Machines, um, players, Timmy C. Comerford on bass, Tom Morello guitar, Brad Wilk on drums, myself and DJ Lord from Public Enemy, and Almighty Be Real from Cypress Hill. Beautiful relationship. Four years, played in front of four million people, put out two albums, I mean, from the beginning to the end. And then Raise Against the Machine, which we wanted all, all along to reform, got back together and 2020 was going to be a banner year for them. They were going to do five dates centered around two weekends in Coachella. And they were starting a tour after that all summer long. And they were going to do five dates in a row in Master Square Garden, bro. Five dates in a row. And then, you know, and I come back to hip hop. I'm saying, well, yeah, if you support this, then how come you can't, I mean, how come you, how come we can't get five dates in the garden? How come even Jay-Z or somebody can't get five dates in a row in the garden? Because the narrative is spun out of control where other people handle hip hop and never could elevate because it never was properly curated. Mm-hmm. You go to rock, man, they don't play that. Leonard Skinner to Fleetwood Mac to Rush. <laughs> yo, man, when the Rolling Stones come in the game, yo, man, when they come into town, you could like it or not like it, man. But when Mick Jagger and Keith Richards get together, understand the buildings is moving. Right. Hip hop, man. I, so I just said, yo, man, listen, man. Yeah, you, you got all the sympathy. Yo, yo, my man Flav. I say you didn't support a damn thing Flav did over the last five. You just happened to turn the TV on and see him on a TV show. But Flavor's done art, and he's been in concert. And if you wasn't there and you didn't support his art, why the hell you say you're you're his support? Because you're used to sucking up the bad news, the bad look. So this was a teachable moment for me, man. And I said, when you see Chuck D and if you see Chuck D and Flavor Flav together in any time in the future, you better back up your support. Oh, you don't have to. But but this is what I'm saying: the good look has to happen. 
in hip hop across the board. It can't be the narrative that dead rappers rise up the billboard charts. And, they, and we're outside of, we're in the senior circuit. Public Enemy is already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We do concerts all over the world. I'm saying somebody in the game, all the independent artists that we happen to promote and play on rap station, as we curate at least 10,000 artists a year, you know, and also thanks to you, right, Tim? Yeah. We curate the hard work of people that toil in this craft, dotting their eyes, crossing their T's, making a living, man, doing the art form and the craft to the to the ability, whether it's in front of three people or three thousand. And it's a knock, a slap in my face when people say I love hip hop, but at the same time, man, it's like you forty one, and so the news that you read about hip hop is about another dead rapper. And I, I think what, that's what Jada Kiss was talking about on his latest um, album, Ignatius. So I'm just like saying, man, we can't have the narrative spin out of bounds with somebody else's controlling for their sake. Because when it comes down to art form, it rains on everybody, man. You know, there's people that have been doing this and do this well. They need a platform to be able to propel them. And it just can't be a blog that's waiting for them to work, uh, make their worst move. So this move was kind of yeah, yeah. It was it, it was the hoax. There ain't no joke. Yeah, it was intentional, but it's intentional to drag out people like yeah. And here it is, and here you are, and we're holding a mirror up to it. People didn't hear a word I said up there on that platform. And everybody talks about the blogs they're on or doing this TV interview or doing this this um this hip hop blog interview and all that. I used the blog of a dude running for the president of the United States. I used the platform to be able to say what I had to say. And they didn't hear a word I damn said. I'm going to send out the transcripts. So enemy radio is that political component that speaks to that. You know, the last thing that we did politically was for uh, my hero, Harry Belafonte's San Kofa organization. And I said, enemy radio is that thing that will go out and do, get out and do benefits and, and concerts like that. Flav really doesn't do those things. So if anybody's thought like, yo, you fired your man over Bernie Sanders, Flav don't give a damn difference between Bernie Sanders, Barry Sanders, or <laughs> Colonel Sanders, man. He's Flav is Flav, man. Did you, when, it's a couple of things. When you, when, when the, you know, the announcement of the, the the firing of Flavor Flavor happened. It, it you know it seemed to, a couple of things seemed to happen. It seemed that uh, people were trying to pin in a weird way uh, Bernie Sanders versus Biden again uh, in terms That's of like. Stupid. Uh, and then also another thing is that um, it was it was kind of uh, there. It, uh, I saw it as a weird way of pinning or turning like Bernie being the outsider. And Biden being the kind of the part of the establishment, uh, and that's how they're they're spinning it as well. Uh, was there anything as the as the media coverage? Was there anything that surprised you how they covered this? You know, now this hoax as a firing, or were you just was this everything expected? I could expect that, Tim, because that that's that's the swirl that they operated. So I expected all kinds of shrapnel to come out on March second, and it did. It was just interesting seeing some people who are close to us, <laughs> seeing them come out in the wash saying things, you know, hmm. things that I thought was insincere. I was watching. Matter of fact, me and Flavor was watching it all roll out and we were seeing the behavior. The problem is, is Flavor wanted this to go on past April 1st. I said, no, buddy. <laughs> I've been taking an acid <laughs> bath. And, you know, I could take a hit on my stock. 
But one thing, his stock has come up. And hopefully, I, I think we'll be close to equal, you know, and maybe in the week. As a matter of fact, we're close to equal now because it comes up to a, a cumulative point, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, I expected media to to do all kinds of things with the football. The football was bouncing all over the place, man. And I've mm-hmm. read everything. And I've read the dumbest things, you know, that people say the, the stupidest. And you know what, man? Stupid don't get smart all of a sudden. So I don't expect anybody to all of a sudden, you know, just have the the most clever, you know, political savvy or say so. I tell them, I went up there and said, listen, man, use your mind, common sense. Make sure your sense is common as as much as possible right now when you make your choices and decisions. I told that to all the Bernie voters. I said, I told them, don't be stupid, man, when it comes down to it. If it means that, you know, you don't have no grudge against what Hillary did years ago and what Biden, where he comes from. I mean, you just got to like, everybody got their grown pants up, you know, when it comes down to the election of 2020. Or you're going to face, you know, you're going to face a little bit crazy of what you're facing right now. And here we are. It all rolls out right now. And people are shriveling up, shriveling up in their, in their uh, shells trying to figure this one out. Trying to figure this one out. Even the conspiracy theories is like, all right, dude, you, all right, even if you're right, now what you going to do? You know, I mean, I'm a culturalist. I'm an earthison. I'm a person that comes up with words and tries to move people. I'm not an economist. I'm not a political scientist. I'm not all these areas, but my job was to illuminate people who are skillful in all these areas because it takes a community to actually, all the parts to make a community run. And a lot of the time the community has to protect itself against, you know, the, just the, just the, I'd say the gravity, or like we used to call it, nigg gravity, that's affecting us as a community. And that's why culture is so beautiful. You know, Bob Marley is somebody I'm on right now. I'm Harry Belafonte. I'm feeling that. Nina Simone. These were people that, that had a high sense of, of humility and, and consciousness and intelligence. And they wouldn't come out of their box to criticize something that 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 they didn't know nothing about. Me, I'm pissed. To, like this is the one year since Nipsey Hussle was just brutally just murdered in his own neighborhood, trying to help it out. And that's the narrative that people like. You know, when they turn and see the narrative of hip hop, it's like that's the thing to remember. I mean, that's bullshit, man. I just can't, I can't no longer salute to the bullshit, man. I got to be, maybe I got to be that curmudgeon for a while. But you know what, man? The dudes in the NBA pretty much are the same age as the young guys in in hip-hop. And the dudes in the NBA know that in order for them to do their thing, they got to conform to some kind of thing that allows them to do their thing. In hip-hop, somebody's going to do their thing because there was a road, there there was a path laid for them to go and make their music to go out in front of people and to do their thing. And as long as they kept it on the stage, if it, even, if it, even if it was negative or negative like KRS says, even if they did keep it, you know, you keep it on the stage, man, and you try to bring people up from the tragedy that it is. That's what we all learned from Ice-T. You know, Ice will tell you what it is, but at the same time, he says, look, I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should take that road. Matter of fact, I advise you to stay out of that because you ain't built for that. And, um, but then again, we've, we've also seen, you know, the society, the masses be moved into them asses. They just move the M over. So I just think that, that, 
more people that that structure and bark about it, it's helpful. It's helpful. And it led me into making, um, finishing up a record of Loud Is Not Enough by Enemy Radio. I got Bob Marley all inside me. The reggae toasting DJs of Herc, Bam, and Flash are the ones who are the foundation of hip-hop and the MC coming out over that. And that's what Enemy Radio speaks to. And, um, yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of noise out there. But loud is just not enough. Loud is just not enough. There's got to be something inside that loud. How not to die by the weapon, formerly known as food. Hell not to die. Sugar, sugar, who you talking to? Dirty water, who be loving you? And actually, I want to turn to the track that Flav's on, uh, you know, because Food as a Machine Gun. It, it, it reminded me um, quickly of uh, Dead Prez in 2000 doing the track Be Healthy. Yeah. And then we fast forward to 2020 and Food as a Machine Gun where you and Jaheed are talking about the food industry using food to negatively impact our lives. Um, can you talk about this? Talk about this track and why this track now in 2020. Well, I call it the most important rap record of our present time because it's something we all going to have to deal with. We understood that Be Healthy and all the records. For example, people like DJ Kavum from Colorado, Supernova mm-hmm. Flown. You know, these are people that talk about health and nutrition as well as dead prayers forever. Public Enemy or anything related to me, I'm on attack mode. And my thing is to attack the, the bad, not to even come up with the solution. We have the solution people out there that have been saying this for years. But in order sometimes to, 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 to present something good, you got to be able to protect it. You got to be the security at the door to protect the element from taking over, metastasizing. And I, I decided to go, I decided to go real roots on it. And, um, as hip hop grows in age, in the beginnings we see maybe there's this violence that took out well, the, the Nipsey hustles in their 30s, and you know, um, pop pop smoke in his 20s, just barely turned 20, and a lot of that that violence that goes on with young MCs, but the older ones, and if I start seeing in their 40s. As I was turning in the mid fifties and sixties, that we started losing a lot of people turning their edge from their thirty nine into their forty, forty one, forty two, forty three, forty four, forty five range, and um, that has been troubling, and that is just a reflection of you know things that we're subjected to in our communities the hypertension, which is the stress, and then the foods that, that figure in the, into that, the, and, and, and to the diabetes, and, and um, you know, this, the, the certain things that's in the food. The, the foods are sort of like gangstered up against people of, of uh, let's say, people of color communities, people who are considered poor, that's the biggest gangster right about now as we go further into the 21st century. Some of these foods are a molecule away from plastic and they're getting away scot-free 
And if you're going to have a food shortage, even people are going to, you know, bodies and humans are furnaces, man. Need to eat something. Got to burn something. Right. And if you can't afford the Whole Foods, the Trader Joe's, uh, all these places that that mark their their prices up because they call it high quality, good, quote, quote, unquote, food, even though it's in the United States of America, you know, they're going to go to the place that's closest just around the way. And that's just warfare. And the choices are just not abundant. You know, and I decided like I did 30 years ago when I wrote an album off of uh, a professor's books and dissertation. That's Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. She had the color confrontation theory in the ISIS papers. And that's where fear of a black planet was spawned out of. So we had to make a professor's theory and scientific um, 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 proof. And we had to truncate it down into song, even popular song. And that's where fear of a black planet was spawned out of. The average person doesn't know that. The average person might not even know Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, but they'll know the 911 is a joke video. That's the song of the cultural. That's the duty of the songwriter and the culturalist or the performer to be able to do that, to truncate and get the message across. So the combination of don't believe the hype and fear of a black planet, I decided to do that with this song from the author, Kristen Lawless, um, who I met years ago, like as a student, Santa Cruz, and she actually became a person to write on author about the uh the effects of of food and the in the food corporations and the gangsterism and she wrote this book called formerly known as food and i just thought it was interesting to write about that because that is that is the final plateau it's like how do you duck and get around the food aspect after you and especially after your 40s because because of that you have the pharmaceutical companies running amok and rampant at such an early age. And whenever you turn on the TV, you see pharmaceutical companies are damn near like every third commercial. And I was like, when people talk about getting money, shh, get, getting money is that, you know, that's crazy. And right now we're dealing with people turning their heads, looking at the pharmaceutical industry for help. People are begging for a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Well, the food industry is another one that's gotten away scot-free. Now, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to be like, give you that information. My job is to be able to give the intelligence and the interpretation and the truncation of that into a song, into an album, and speak about it and make it visible, make it a teachable moment. And uh, that's what food as a machine gun, you know, was, was written for. And I wrote it, and Flavor participated in this one enemy radio track to make this statement as he's in the studio right now getting ready for the Public Enemy release in June. So pretty much this is like a one song that's getting ready for two albums. And I, and I definitely appreciate the... Uh the the aspect of the the, the conversation that you you and Jahi put in this where you, it's not just about uh the physical uh impact that food has on us but you also you know mentioned 
Like your line is, uh, God us fighting diabetes, stress level, sleepless, this emotional, mental drugs and in the love. I love in the food. I love screwing up my physical. So you got to really attack all aspects of the, the human, but also, uh, as you just mentioned, even different businesses like the pharmaceutical companies and how they're getting money off of this as well. Well, you know, in songwriting, then you got to get it out sharp, clever, and in the making a song that, that lasts the test of time and actually speaks to something important, you can't make it seem like that. And I, I've seen a lot of people that wanted to write when they, you know, over the years, like 30 years, I'm going to write the conscious record, you know. And I'm like saying, well, you got to make the conscious record seem like it, it ain't anything conscious. Right. It, it's, 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 you know, this record, if somebody listens to it, the goal was trying to make something that you want to dance to with a plate of food. <laughs> Not even think about what, at least maybe think a little bit about what you're eating. Eat, eat healthy, but this has got to move you. And um, and that was the goal of food as a machine gun. And that's the only thing that's going to make it the m- most important hip-hop rap record of, of our present time in this century is that it's got to be a rap record. You know, it, it's not a dissertation. And and you got three minutes and 50 seconds to play around with. So I think that I honed that craft 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. And I tell people, I said, well, if you go into this with, with a lot of thought, and then go into it with, with what you feel. You can come up with with a combination. It ain't gonna be off the top of your head. It ain't gonna be no freestyle. I, those are unbelievable abilities that I think that I've never had. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go. I have to go in there and say, okay, listen, how do we make this work? And how me at my stage and age, where I've been performing consistently for the last thirty three years, I, I'm the best performances have been the last three, four years with Prophets of Rage and hip-hop is easy, trust me, uh, as opposed to Tom Morello saying, okay, we got to have four rehearsals in a row. So something I learned from that brotherhood even more. But when it comes down to the songs, it's like you have to be the song. And, um, you know, and, and, and I think that's food as a machine gun. I'm, I could boldly say that it's the most important hip-hop record of our time, but it goes right back. And all I could do is think about, all I could do is think about Molly and Tosh and, you know, dance hall and the plate of food and, you know, barbecue. But yet and still saying that, you know what? I love sugar and salt and sugar and salt loves me. We got to do something about this relationship because it's a killer. This song gets, you know, once the song is released, um, what what would be the next steps for you in regards to this kind of this 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 line of this this line of thought or this line of argument? Well, people are in their house, <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, you know, I mean, we might do some viral. There's, there's three videos coming out, really, like a video attack. One incredible lyric video where. Where my man, um, we have a five-man squad that's almost like a hip-hop Pixar, and um, my man, Propaganda Man, his name is Karen McIver. He's over there in London. We also have DJ Singh, who did uh, videos for Prophets of Rage. We also have uh, 
C-Doc, who's a label partner, producer of the records, who's, you know, was as totally Public Enemy's videographer. We also have a management team, social media team on on about three or four companies that my longtime publicist, uh, Jolyn Matsumuro. So it's a full court press and making like a Pixar of hip hop present these this three to four video assault. This lyric video is actually the creation of my own font <laughs> and by way of uh, Karen McIver. We have a, another video that's actually kind of informative with facts and another video that actually has a storyline to it. So Food as a Machine Gun is going to be interactive where people could possibly, you know, be at home with a plate of food and dancing. It's got to be a dance. It, we feel that this is hypnotic and make you dance. I, I feel it could be the don't believe the hype of our time. Uh, I don't try to make a record, you know, hawk back to a memory, but I feel that food as a machine gun is saying a whole lot. Whether you're dealing with that health situation with food or not, everybody's got to deal with it one way or another with their elders, their siblings, and their kids when it comes down to what's going inside them because they're going to need something to go inside them. And kids are a furnace, adults are a furnace, and old folk are a furnace. So this is a teachable moment. On this album, there's definitely a lot of, um, obviously a lot of conversations you're having with, with people out there. And, uh, on one of the tracks, Lock Your Wheels featuring Sadat X, uh, you know, you spit, ain't no way I'm gonna let you be famous, just be famous, let me know what your name is. Um, who are you, yeah. who are you talking to there? But can you kind of break down these lyrics for us? Well, it, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much just, going at, you know, notes on the board of what I've been seeing the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, Locker Wheels is pretty much the same. Pump your brakes. Hold steady against the BS and the powers that be. Look at it. You know, think. Say five things bad about yourself before you say and contemplate anything bad about somebody else. Then make your move. So it's pretty much like soil your roll, mm-hmm. you know, um, some sage advice, you know, um, a record I like uh, that's on the album is same God, mm-hmm. you know, nobody has God's cell phone number <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or Instagram account and the same God, you know, made you made me, but that's pretty much this get together and be all right. Let's figure this out. You know, we live on this planet Earth. You know, all this talk about another place. I don't know. This is why these situations create a cyberspace. And now we're at a junction where people have officially crossed over into being netizens from citizens. You see it right now, Tim. Right. You know, people are now netizens. They're not citizens. Citizens, when you're actually living through your physical body, walk into the street, going to work and all that. People are home operating online. And the big discussion, the conspiracy theory that, that this could have been spawned off of 5G is another one to just be able to scratch your head on. You know, but, you know, they created cyberspace as a place where they can actually go and see if you could pay mental rent or mortgage for the remaining 
part of your mind. <laughs> so it exists. You know, I think we have other songs on the album like uh, 2020 is supposed to be an era of hindsight right. and clear vision. But the masses will be, you know, blinded more than ever and have cataracts. You know, STD is a slavery transmitted disease. And that's what we feel that the, the N-word is. It's contagious. It's, um, it's used out of context. And uh, I don't th never thought it was a word of love. You know, and born woke, I come from a different time. I come from the 1960s, man. And um, you can't compare now to that century. But I'm come from a time where you had everything around you was woke. Mm. So you automatically kind of was born woke. It's definitely different now. Can you this, uh, um, this, good? Sorry, just quickly uh, talk about uh, the Born Woke. I, I this happens a lot in the album, but Born Woke is one thing, one place I really liked it is uh, when you and you and Jahi, you both rhyme over completely different beats. Uh, what kind? Right. What was that thinking behind it? And then also, I also love uh, that the scratch separates the track. Uh, what's kind of one of your yeah. what's your kind of your one of your favorite things about the, the art of the scratch? Art of the Scratch is that, that uh, the turntable is an instrument, and we have one of the best in the world. One of the greatest in the world is DJ Lord. And um, the producer, David Snyder, C-Doc, is just a, he's, he's a lover of, of, of the era that used the scratch as, a, as an instrument. And, um, and if this is going to go back to the root potential of, of, you know, Enemy Radio goes back to the root MC DJ sound system, that scratch is important, man. It's imperative that scratch and be up in there. Hmm. It's not trying to prove a point. It's just saying this is this is the identity that it has. You know, so um, Enemy Radio is that MC DJ sound system. I mean, we have a cut on that called Man Listen. And time is the final currency. And the song breaks down life in four sports quarters. Like people that follow football, basketball, it's four quarters. First quarter of your life is zero to 20. You know, the second quarter of your life is 20 to 40. 40's halftime, man. That's going to determine the out, outcome of your game if you happen to make it that long. Third quarter is 40 to 60. I'm entering my fourth quarter, man, in life. Mm. That's 60 to 80, man. You know, and 80, anything after that is overtime, man. And usually what ends that is sudden death. So the sports vernaculars and, and, and analogies you know, and me and Jahi, and Jahi's a veteran MC. It's not like a, you know, he's my minor, but he's not a minor. You know, it's like he has a 16 album, 19 year career. So, you we we get into the science, uh, you know, uh, of the fact, and 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 there's a lot of people that, like when we have hip hop guys on rap station, they we, I mean, Flatline deals with scientists. You you deal when you have your song selection. You deal with scientists. You know, Jada Kiss is a scientist. You know, Buckshot, they're scientists, man. They're craftsmen um, and substantial. They're scientists, man. And that's the beauty of it. And that the average person doesn't know that, and they treat it like pop music, top forty, shaking to the lights, as I say. I mean. I don't think we I don't think we could be in the same room talking about the same thing. 
You know, it's like going to a basketball game and you up there liking the, the uniforms. I mean, it's cool, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like you can't talk about the uniforms, dude. <laughs> or even you talk about the one crossover move, man, but the team's down by 35, man. So I like to use sports in my analogies and vernacular. And I said, this is a salute to all those veterans, man, that we support on Rap Station, man. This is about Rap Station also making a statement to the world. Like, listen, we're the best that it is, and we do this right. And get your platform together to salute hip-hop when it's on a high note, on a good look, instead of waiting like a buzzard for the bad look. And that's why I came about presenting that presenting that bad look and getting um, an acid bath for about a month. Because <laughs> it's been acid burn. Flavor wanted to have this thing go longer, man. I said, dude, you crazy, man? This is over April 1st. <laughs> it's over, man. <laughs> Stay in the studio, man. Make sure those records are ready for June. Uh, Chuck, I have two more questions. Uh, I want to ask you about the, the, the final track on the album, uh, The Kids Ain't Right. Uh, it features, yeah. obviously, another legend, uh, Professor Daddy-O, and it's... As the title suggests, the kids ain't right. It, it addresses the concerns for the future. I also really like the track because, uh, beat wise, it reminds me of one of my other public enemies. One of my favorite tracks from Public Enemy, Everything, because it's a very mellow beat, but it highlights yeah. the artist's voice. So it's what it, I really think hip hop should do is really highlight that the voice is an instrument as well. Yes, and that's what C Doc brought out as well to answer to your earlier question, C Doc believes in the changing of the tempos, the changing of music, the change up and the switches up that came in that whole Public Enemy, Dr. Dre production, the first Dr. Dre production era where you changed up on the rhythm to give you forward movement. And because you wasn't a band, you changed the grooves as the record went forward and you still rode the pony, as they say, with the rhymes and the verses. And um, Raise Against the Machine did that as a band. Mm. You know, you get into a point and then all of a sudden it changes up. So the, These Kids Ain't All Right is a tempo that C-Doc, who also is a, a rapper on a group called The Impossibles, understood that this is this is the, 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 the timbre that should ride this rhythm. And the songs are, you know, Questions is a future victim of, of uckery, mm. you know, and have young people inherited a waste and have they inherited fear and you spit on the track you say uh break the break the chains that's choking the kids so i mean the question is how how do we i guess how how do we break these chains and um, what what should people start doing well the solution i always thought was kind of simple i always thought that the solution for anybody living inside the lower 48 united states of america you have to become an earthison and a citizen of the world and be concerned about what's going on in the world in order to be able to make a change wherever you are at or be able to make present some perspectives, present, you know, something to challenge the challenges ahead. But if you just in your country, in your neighborhood, only listening to a gadget that's telling you about what it is and how the rest of the world is bad and how you're all good. I mean, you're sucking propaganda through your gadget, giving it a BJ, man. You got to figure out what's going on in the world. And I've been, okay, I've been fortunate and blessed because of hip hop to go to 116 countries. I spent half of the year outside of the United States. 
There's a, there's a severe radiation inside the United States that operates on propaganda. Mm-hmm. So my prop agenda is to break the propaganda and tell people like, open yourself up. You got a gadget that connects to the world. Is it a toy or is it a tool? And that is, that, that's the civil war inside people. You got a gadget attached to you. Is it a toy or is it a tool? Is it Big Brother, the master, or do you manage your tool for a navigation of your life and your surroundings as a netizen? Because as a citizen, that, those, a lot of those things are showing you right now. Stay in your house until we tell you to. So your rights as a citizen have been revoked until they say it's safe. So you have to have conversation with real people in more than one place. I always thought that like for black folks, I'm a black person in the United States. We don't connect to the diaspora, which is the connected um, world of people who are judged by their skin color and culture. They always said that we'll be a slave in the United States. There ain't nothing that's going to bring us out out of here if we didn't connect it to the diaspora. And we'll be relegated to the rusty chain forever. Chains on our brains, souls, culture, trying to look for answers in the United States of America. You know, President Barack Obama was a fantastic symbol. But it was a symbol that told me personally that, yo, man, it was an hourglass turned upside down. I, I got this time to get to do what I got to do while this dude is up in there, possibly being whipped in mass distraction. But I know I got four years, and then later on I got four more years to prepare myself, which says I better lock into the rest of the world as my saving grace. Public enemy has never depended on the United States of America. We make our living outside the country. The United States is one of them. So we didn't depart the United States. We never, ever planted in the United States. We planted in London first, and that's never more evident than hearing the beginning that takes a nation of millions to hold us back. They are not saying, all right, New York or Philadelphia. They're saying London. That is public enemy's base. And that London goes quite clearly in the Paris, Africa, all parts of the world. Um, and not to, not, not to salute the, the British Empire either. It's just that that's where the trail has gone as opposed to figuring out what's happening in Scranton. I'm not dissing Scranton, but I'm, dude, it's like... So when I see a lot of this stuff like online, this ridiculous thing like what Chuck D is caping for, I'm like, what the fuck does this come from, caping? You know, this is about, like Bob Marley said, the life of human beings, man. And yes, I know I'm black, and I know everywhere in the world, those with darker skin catch the most hell. Most hell from everywhere, even our own. And culture is something I have had the privilege to try to reverse some of this BS. But I don't want to hear somebody's, I mean, you know, the internet is full of opinions, you know. I, at my age, sock med, which is an illness, I try to make sure that I do one, and that's Twitter, keep it short, headline sweet, and keep it moving. My platform or rap station will actually take a, a stronger presence in 2020. And I had to take this route to tell people, we present the good look. We don't, excuse my language language right here, we don't fuck around with the bad look at all. Our news makes sure it's a good look. 
When you're talking about the memory of people like Sean Price, you're talking about the good look. We don't waste our time with the bad look. People are like, well, you got to present the bad look as a total life. You get enough of the bad look anyway. So all those platforms and blogs out there that cover the bad look, man, they're buzzards, man. Hip-hop's a beautiful thing, man. And I look at hip-hop and the artists that come along, I look at them as Ellingtons, man. I look at them at Nina, like Nina Simone, Desi Smith. It's just disrespectful to, to, to not talk about uh, Queen Latifah in high reverence. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you want to narrow the conversation down to, you know, uh, Nicki Minaj and, and, and um, Cardi B and say this is the hip-hop talk of the moment? Man, that's throwing young people down a flight of stairs. Nah, these kids ain't all right. There's a, I, I, I'm talking to you more and more today, but also thinking about how the last track ends, the kids are all right, and, and it kind of helps, I think, my theory in terms of why it ended this way. Uh, and I want to see if this is correct, but, uh, obviously the conversation is that this, what, what you're trying to do, what, what public enemy is trying to do, it's, it's bigger than just one person. It's bigger than Chuck D. Um, daddy O ends the track. We don't hear back from you. We don't hear back from Jaheed. He's the last person, the last voice. Daddy is the last voice that we hear on the album. He's the final voice. Um, why did you guys decide that daddy O would be the final voice of this album? Daddy O is the epitome of a scholar in this art form. The first year I I performed, Daddy O was like one of my mentors, but he was my co-bus mate, co-compadre, to go around and look at and said, this hip hop around this country that's that's spawning itself based off of what they seen and heard, just like it started in Brooklyn, just like it was over in Long Island, coming out of the Bronx and Brooklyn, all these parts, and we see that. I traveled my first year with Daddy O on the same bus. Public Enemy and Stetsasonic shared the same bus. Stetsasonic was already superstars to us. Hank Shockley and myself were promoters on Long Island as well as as radio guys with WBAU. And we promoted Stetsasonic for gigs and, and drove them from Brooklyn to Long Island and Connecticut. They were they were a miracle first band in hip hop, hip hop band before their records, before their albums. So Daddy O has always been the model citizen in hip hop for me. And at the same time, what Daddy O has done in this century, in the last four years has been unprecedented. He's released five albums. We distributed his label, Dad Truth, him and Lion Wade, Lynn Wendell. And he's released five albums that can stand test to test with anything put out. And Daddy O attacks ageism with a vengeance. And to me, he's like a high scholar. He's a high priest of hip hop, man. Seriously. For, and, it's, and this has been from like day one. So, I mean, from 1985, he's delivered the truth. And whatever I can do to help this man's voice be out there. We we need we need voices out there. Every time you look at sports, you see Bill Russell and uh, you know Walt Frazier and all the Dr. J and all the giants of basketball that everybody says that they're in ball. They, they I love ball, but you see the young guys were feared to that, and it and it doesn't impede upon their living. 
and the, and the OGs are cool in their place. And my whole thing on this album is just like enemy radio signify people who are comfortable in their place, in their lane. But we also know what that lane entails. And you are OG, you know, be an OG. And actually at the same time, at the age I am, if I can't teach, I shouldn't even open my mouth to speak. You know, Bob Marley is a great, great, great person to look at. And it's fitting that Enemy Radio being the DJ MC sound system of Public Enemy, readying up Public Enemy's release in June, you know, speaks to that root, man. So I, I feel good to be part of that. I feel great to also be associated with people who've been with Public Enemy the whole time that nobody even noticed on that Bernie Sanders stage because they're locked into their minds at another time because they... They they were they're comfortable with not picking up on the last twenty five years. People wouldn't even give us too much news in in the circles when we made the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. Public Enemy was a thirty sixth act that got in their first year. It was a no brainer. Didn't come without oh because we had a great eighty eight, nineteen ninety, ninety one, ninety two. It wasn't a five year group too. We wasn't a two year group. We had our movie. Where a movie happened to happen and then it all disintegrated in the parts. No. We've been consistent. Thirty-four years of a good look. So therefore, if I got a trend from a bad look, it shows you the state of our times. And that's what was on attack. He's a legendary artist, rock and roll hall of famer, co founder of Public Enemy. Uh Enemy Radio's new album is going to drop uh, April 1st. Loud is not enough. And then, of course, look out for a new Public Enemy album. Uh, Chuck D., as always, it's been an honor to have you on the library with Tim Heineken. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. And you're the best that that there is, man. Seriously. Last time I did an interview like that, like this, was with Combat Jack. Uh, you know? R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Or Rest in Beats, the great Combat Jack. Every once in five years, I got to get up and, and or six years, I got got to get up and lay it. I'm not the dude that's going to go on, although I can do it. I could go to the rap station studios and put my face on it every three days when I feel that there's a problem. I don't do that, man. I'd rather be heard and not seen. And that's for them to do. I just tell them to be able to be accountable and responsible to the hip-hop idiom and and and, and, and form and craft. How not to die. By the weapon, formerly known as food. Hell not to die. Sugar, sugar, who you talking to? Dirty water, who be loving you? Stroke, no joke, must have hit that salt. Don't look at me, cause it ain't my fault. I know you want it, say you need it, and you eat it, cause you want it. Sugar, sugar, you don't love me. Sugar, sugar, you don't need me. Now, it be eating me, eat it up, got us fighting diabetes, stress level, sleepless, emotional, mental, drugs and the food I love screwing up my physical, I'll never fall in love again, with this hate on my plate and food and drug administration, is it my hallucination, food is a machine gun, food is a machine gun.